Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. We are continuing our series, second week, third week actually called 40 Days. Everybody say 40 Days. This is looking at the 40 days really before Jesus was led to the cross. We are in a period of Lent and Thank you for those of you that have shared um, since I last spoke a couple of weeks ago about sacrifice, because Lent is ultimately trying to reflect what Christ did on the cross, which was ultimately giving up his life for us. And what Lent really enables us to do is to give something up um, to reflect what Christ did. I know many of you are giving up certain things. Some of you are giving up sugar for the month. That's what Abs has done, my wife. She's given up sugar for the month. And um, she's doing very good at it. I must say, she's not even sinned once. Um, others of you are giving up maybe tea or coffee, which is a little bit harder. Um, but whatever you are, and even if you're not giving up anything practically or food-wise or materially-wise, I think it's good in Lent just to prepare our hearts and prepare our spirits for this Easter journey. And so that when we come to Easter, there's a closeness that we have in our heart with Christ. But we're going to read from Luke chapter 17 today. Luke chapter 17, because this fits within the 40 days um, um, before Christ died. And uh, what I want to share with you is something that he shares to his disciples. Luke chapter 17, verse 1 to 6, it says this, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of them little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them and they repent. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Just jump to verse 11 of that same chapter. It says this in John in Luke 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, and I like this line, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. In this time that I have with you today on this third segment of 40 Days, I want to speak to you about faith. Amen. I want to speak to you about faith. I like that line. I want to read it again because I've been reading the Bible for a long time like many of you. But this kind of line just kind of really spoke to me when I read it. It says, your faith has made you well. I think it's important to note that today in church that Your faith, notice that, your faith, doesn't say someone else's faith. What does it say? Your faith. 
doesn't say borrowed faith, doesn't say the faith of your church, the faith of your life group leaders. It says, your faith has made you well. Because faith has the ability to make you well. It has the ability to make you well. For this man, it is with his leprosy. But I believe for all of us in here, faith that we have has the ability to make us well, whatever that might be, from the inside out. Because when we think of the word faith, all of us probably have different perceptions and different expectations of that word. A lot of us in here have different church backgrounds. And so when I came up here and we started singing, me and Dave started, you know, singing together, leading worship together. For some of you, you'd be very used to that. You'd be used to worship going on for long periods of time and everyone getting very excited and swinging off the chandeliers and much more expressive in your worship experience. Some of you have come from a different avenue and, you know, you know you've had earplugs in your ears for the whole service and are used to more of an organ and maybe a couple of people in a choir. And so like they are the two extremes. What I love about this church is like whatever extreme you come, you kind of just mix into the middle and we just kind of create this. And I like that. But all of us, as a result of our upbringing or our church experience or the theology that we've listened to or the word of God that has been preached to us from a young age, all of us maybe have a different expectation or perception when I say the word faith. If I asked you this question, do you have faith? Most of you would respond, yeah, I have faith. I have faith in God. And so if you were doing a survey and it says, are you a person of faith? You would probably put tick, I am a person of faith. But what does that actually mean? Ultimately, really what you're saying is, I have a belief in God. Agreed? When you say I have faith, really what you're saying is, I have a belief in God. Others would go one step further and say, I have a belief in God and therefore I have certain expectations. Because I have a belief in God, therefore I have faith for this. I have an expectation for this. I believe God can do this. And so you might all have a belief in God, but I suppose the question I'm asking today is, what is the therefore as a result of your belief in God? And the key word, I think, is, is, is that belief, because belief in God is great. But like I'm saying, what is the therefore as a result of that belief in God? What I have belief in gives me faith for. Say that again. What I have belief in gives me faith for. Belief is my conviction in God. It is my conviction in who he is. So when I say I have faith, I have a belief in God because my conviction, ultimately my belief and my conviction is in God and in who he is. But my faith, I believe, is my confidence in God, in what he says. And so my belief is my conviction, but my faith is my confidence. My conviction is in who he is, but my confidence is in what he says. 
And so my children, they believe that I am their father. They believe in who I am, but they also have a confidence that I will do what I've said I would do. And if I don't do what I've said I'll do, how many parents in here know your kids are very quick to remind you? (laughs) Three years ago, you said you'd take us there and you still haven't. You kind of get reminded because their confidence is in what you say. More than ever, I want to encourage this church, more than ever, more than ever, 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 we need an increasing conviction in who God is. We need an increasing conviction in who God is. Because as you grow in your conviction of who God is, that in turn will grow your confidence in what God has said. What is your conviction? Your conviction is ultimately what you are convinced about. I am convinced that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. I am convinced that he sent his son to die on a cross for us and would rise three days later. That is the story of salvation. That is the gospel message. I am convinced that God is for me and not against me. I am convinced in the grace and the mercy and the character of God. I am convinced in who he is. Therefore, that gives me a confidence for what God has said. When your conviction grows, your confidence will follow. In business or in training, and even when it comes to like maybe singing on this platform, sometimes, you know, or speaking, public speaking, sometimes we have tried in the past to train people to be more confident. How many of you have been on confidence training or things like that? And you know, well, put your shoulders up a little bit and stand forward and grab the mic and use your voice to express your confidence. And they are all good techniques, practical techniques to develop maybe self-confidence in a certain thing of public speaking or different things. But what I've realized is the greatest way to grow someone's confidence is to grow their conviction. Even in football, you might be training them to be more confident on the ball. You can't just start kids to be more confident. There's no point telling an eight-year-old to be more confident on the ball. What you tell an eight-year-old is, you're better than you think you are. You have speed and you have strength and you have ability and you can take that play on and I believe you can score a goal today. As you start bringing that conviction into that eight-year-old, they start to think they can score a goal. And guess what? When they do get the ball, they start to play with a greater confidence. It's the same in sport. It's the same in other aspects of management and leadership. It's the same in ministry. Sometimes we're obsessed with growing somebody's confidence when actually we should be looking at their convictions. What do you believe about yourself? Or what do you believe about the person that you may be serving or working with. And Jesus is dying in 40 days when he says this. Before the cross, what Jesus is doing 40 days before the cross, before he's about to die, he is building the conviction in the disciples that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is the way maker, the miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That's what he's doing. He is building a conviction in his disciples because he knows they're going to need confidence and faith in God for the journey that lies ahead. And he is reminding them who he is. Because if I deepen my belief in who he is, I can have a confidence for what comes 
next? Because what comes next is the Easter story. What comes next is Peter's denial of Christ. What comes next is Thomas's doubting. What comes next is the scattering of the disciples. What comes next is people in fear and anxiety. How many of you know that's when you need your convictions to kick in? Because Easter is fully going to mess with their whole confidence thing. (laughs) But it doesn't really matter if it messes with their confidence thing, as long as it doesn't mess with the conviction thing within them of ultimately who Christ is. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And how many of you agree with me in here? I have confidence in what I don't hope for. (laughs) Anybody else with me on that? I have a lot of confidence in what I don't hope for. For example, I have a confidence (laughs) that petrol prices will probably stay high for quite a while. I have full confidence in that. I don't hope for it but I have a confidence in what I don't hope for. I have a confidence that the world is still divided and still conflicted. I have a confidence in that. I just know that's kind of how it is right now and for the potential foreseeable future. I have a confidence in what I don't hope for. Why do I have that? Because I see that. I see it with my own eyes every time we drive past a petrol pump. You get home for, how was your day, husband? Well, you'll never guess what. It's now gone from 174 to 176. Yeah, but how was your day? Well, forget about my day. It's now 176. Dominates our conversation because we see it with our human eyes. But the word of God encourages us to have a faith and a confidence in what we do not see. What does 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 say? We live by faith and not by sight. Paul is basically saying there is a faith that kicks in that is not dependent upon what you don't, is not dependent upon what you do see, that you have the ability to move forward despite your invisibility of seeing anything. We live by faith and not by sight. And much of the Christian journey is walking in faith to things that we hope for, but our human eyes can't see. I'll say that again. Much of our Christian journey is walking in things like Hebrews 11 for what we hope for, but things that our human eyes can't see. How many of you have been in prayer meetings where you've prayed for a revival? or you've prayed for people to be made well, or you've prayed for situations to turn around, and you've prayed for like mountains to move, and you're like, that's what we do as Christians. That's what we do as followers of Jesus. We, like, we, have, we have faith, and we pray, and we have a confidence for those things because we walk with Jesus. But the reality is, what we see looks very different to what we are hoping for and where we have faith for. The world will often say this to you, well, if you see it, you can believe it. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Just imagine it, close your eyes, and if you can see it, you can believe it. I used to do that about football. I used to see myself scoring the winning goal in the World Cup final, and I still haven't done it. (laughs) And I saw it, 
I kept reminding myself, but unfortunately it never happened. Because the world says, well, if you see it, you can believe it. But the word of God says, if you can't see it, you can have faith for it. (laughs) And I feel a real sense in God at the moment to build and to increase and to encourage and to strengthen what I'd call that soul, like soul of the earth, inner core faith of who you are. What does the disciples say to the Lord? In Luke 17, verse 5, they say, increase our faith. And so I just wanted just to share a few minutes today on this. Talk about this issue of faith and aspect of faith. Because some of you are in some boats right now. And Jesus is saying, come. Jesus is saying, come to me. And you're in the boat and it's, it's not a great boat, but it's better than being drenched in the water. It's better than kind of the risk of what lies out there. But you're in a boat and Jesus says, come. What faith does, because we see this with Peter, what faith does is faith takes a step out of the boat and onto the water. Faith takes that first step out of the boat and onto the water. Now you've got to think about the boat and the water. The texture of the boat is a wooden boat. It's like this platform, okay? You don't need to applaud me. Oh, Jesus. I feel like I'm part of the Lord of the dance. What I'm trying to communicate, there's a floor underneath me. Therefore, I know I trust. I trust I'm safe on this thing. It's not going anywhere like, I'm fine, I'm going to be good. And a boat, hopefully, is like that. But how many of you know when you get out of the boat, (laughs) into the water, the texture of the water is very different to the texture of the boat. One is a solid surface. One is a fluid surface. One feels firm. One feels strong, one feels reliable. The other one doesn't really feel anything other than cold and wet (laughs) and very fluid. And our human, careful, stay on the safe side. (laughs) How many of you know that says and screams at you every day, stay in the boat, stay in the boat. (laughs) How many of you are stay in the boat kind of people? But our spiritual, faith-filled God side of us, which is often a little bit risky and a little bit more adventurous, says, get out of the boat. You see, Peter walking on water wasn't just a cool trick. It was building a confidence in Peter that said, even if I can't see a solid surface, even if I can't feel a solid surface, I will still walk to you anyway. Even if it feels fluid beneath me, I will still walk to you anyway. And even if I step on the water and I cannot walk on the water, I'll swim to you anyway. There was a sense in Peter that this is not really about the surface. This is about where I'm going. 
And if it's solid and if it's fluid, it doesn't matter too much. What matters is where I am actually heading to. How many of you would agree with me when I said life feels fairly fluid right now? Life doesn't feel kind of boat solid. It kind of feels water fluid right now. There are aspects of our present and there are aspects of our future that we wish looked much more predictable. It would be fantastic to be able to predict what the next two years look like economically, socially, you know, maybe with your career, maybe with your financial status, maybe with your relationship status, maybe with the, the, the world right now. It'd be nice if we could predict it. But how many of you know it feels kind of fluid? In fact, kind of feels quite unpredictable. And yet Hebrews 11 talks about faith as a confidence in what we hope for. And then it goes on to talk about these people, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. What did he do? He built an ark. Abraham, who obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Sarah, who was past childbearing age, who was then enabled to bear children. Jacob, when he was dying, blessed his sons. Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites. Moses, whose parents hid him for three months after he was born. It goes through person after person after person who all had a place of fluidity. But the common feature was this. When the life got fluid, their faith got going. When life became fluid, their faith got going. And that's what I want to encourage us as a church today. I suppose if there's one line for you to take home. If life is getting fluid, it's time for my faith to get going. It's time for my faith to be increased. It's time for my faith to be strengthened. Because some of us have lost the gift of living by faith. Living by faith was like kind of 1990s kind of thing. When I say 1990s thing, I speak to my parents or I speak to like my older people in, who I know in life. And it, I don't know if it's true, but it just seems like they seem to have like so much more faith than me. Like they would believe for things and they, would, they wouldn't have things lined up and things wouldn't be predictable. But they just knew God was going to provide. They just knew God was going to come through time after time. And I almost feel like as we've got, I don't know if I'm just speaking on behalf of myself, but I almost feel like I've kind of got much more into the boat than I ever have done before. And I'm kind of comfortable. I kind of enjoy the boat because I'm still circling around in the boat and I still feel like I'm doing ministry in the boat and I'm still a good parent in the boat and I'm still a good husband in the boat. And I'm still a, I'm, my life is still good in the boat, but I do sense Jesus saying, come to me. And I look back at previous generations and my parents or grandparents, and I'm sure you have those people in your world. And I'm, we're not trying to compare because it's like saying, you know, was Pele better than Ronaldo? Of course he was. But you know what? You can't compare these generations. I'm not trying to do that. But what I'm just trying to say is there was something in those people that maybe just seemed a little bit more element of risk taking than I feel like me and maybe our generation is right now. Is this making sense? Some of us used to be risk takers out of the boaters, but we've got used to and maybe got comfortable with solid surfaces. But God asks us to have faith. In fact, the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
I've sometimes not enjoyed that verse. <laughs> I find it a little bit rude. <laughs> I find it a little bit direct, but I don't know who the writer of Hebrews was, so it's hard to point a finger. <laughs> but in heaven, I will be finding that within my first few days <laughs> on my to-do list of things to do in heaven. Jonah, how was that whale experience? Okay, tick. All right, now, who's the writer of Hebrews? Because I do find it a little bit rude, a little bit direct, that without faith it is impossible to please God. But I think really what it's saying is basically living in our own strength, living in our own ability, living in our own security systems, that doesn't please God one bit. What pleases him is when you say, I trust in your strength and I trust in your ability. And I trust in your security. And God says, I like that. That's the faith that I want to see. We're four weeks or four to six weeks away from starting our new church within this church. And on Wednesday night, we're going to unpack that more and give you some time scales because we're getting, we're getting close. And <clears throat> we want to give you more context about that. And some of you might be like, I don't even know what this is about. Come Wednesday, we can explain more for those of you that still don't fully know what is happening. We'll still be in this building with the same people, with us as the same leaders and everything like that, and the same church family. But we're embarking on a new journey as to become a, a new church. And there's elements to that which are massively exciting and sense of adventure and come on, Ed, let's go. And there's elements where I'm like in the boat going, it'd be easy just to stay here. It'd be easy just to stay on this wooden surface because this is kind of nice and this is kind of good and this is what I'm used to and this is what I've got used to for like 13 years now. Like I've always had a nice surface underneath us. And I suppose this last week, it's like things begin like our charity status has now been confirmed and Things are happening and like policies are developed and things are, processes are beginning to be in place. And it's almost like, you know, when something's loading and it's like loading, 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 loading. And you see like an app, downloading an app and starts off, you're like, I've got a long way to go. And then we're like close to full download. And I've been thinking on certain, maybe some of the financial aspects of the church, because obviously we've been part of Life Church for years. And Leeds has always been a generous church and Leeds has always covered the costs of this campus. And we've always, you know, we've never done anything that we've not really been able to do. Obviously being part of the church has enabled us to do some things when we weren't able to do it. And Bradford have been a great support that. And then there's been times when we've been able to maybe invest into Belfast and everything like that. And so as a church together... We've been able to work this thing out that God calls church over the, over the years. But Leeds has always been a, a strong, financial, generous church. And then you start thinking, yeah, but what happens if? <gasps> what happens if this happens? And what happens if, you know, and you start to kind of maybe start to get a little bit, not necessarily worried, but beginning to feel the fluidity, fluid surface. Is this making sense? But it's almost like, well, we're out of the boat now. It's too late to get back in, even, you know, we either walk or we sink. <laughs> and I'm using that kind of extreme language. But all those things, I suppose, have been going on in my head. And I was playing football with Jay yesterday in the park. And as I'm scoring 30 yard volleys into the top corner, I'm also, I'm also thinking about aspects of, you know, the financial aspects. Because 
I've, we've never had to, you know, have the, I suppose, the full responsibility of the financial aspect of a church. We've been a campus pastor, but that is obviously laid with the senior pastors and the, and the board of trustees from Life Church. And so we've, we've always been blessed to be a part of that. And I suppose that has always been a nice boat. But now, obviously, stepping out as the lead pastors with our great trustees is now that's something that we now step into. And I feel like old enough and mature enough to carry that. And so we feel like confident going into it. But you do start to question certain things. And amazing, because I've got faith for it. And then yesterday, guess what happened yesterday? I get a phone call at two o'clock to say that our bank account application has been approved. And we now have a bank account for the church. And that's good. I was like, oh, great. But the funny thing, there was zero pounds in it, okay, zero. Like, not even a penny. I'm like, I'd love to put a penny in. At least we've got something in it, you know, to build interest on that, you know. So we get confirmation that's open. Literally, hours later, same day, hours later, two people contact me, not even from our church, okay? Not even from our church, And they simply sent me a text and contact and basically said this. They said, do you have a bank account yet? Because I'd like to give some money into the church. Hours after it opened. And I replied to one of them saying, are you joking? Like, has someone given you a tip off? And I says, how do you know? I says, it opened like, we only got confirmation two hours ago. And this person's not even in our city. And he says, do you know what his answer was? He goes, I was watching the highlights of the Leeds United game and your name came into my head. (sighs) How many of you know what that does for your faith? Your confidence to go, God's got this. Because there is a supernatural aspect to your life that I encourage you to enter over the next few weeks. Because faith moves. Blind Bartimaeus, he moved. Zacharias, Zacchaeus, he moved. The woman with the issue of blood, she moved. The paralyzed man on the mat was moved. Faith works well with movement. Where have you stopped moving? Because we need some faith for finances. How many of you know that? I'm not just talking about us as a church, but I'm talking about us as individuals, as families. Cost of living is going up, but faith says, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 19, faith moves. And I'm not trying to manipulate you to give because that's not my aim. But what I'm trying to say is there will be growth in my finances if there is a release in my finances. But if there's no release of it, it's hard for there to be growth there. And so I need to move my faith. And so when it comes to cost of living, when it comes to increasing petrol prices, sometimes it's easy to go, I think I'll just stay in the boat. But faith moves. Faith moves in all different aspects. He is our Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. We need faith for family. We sang that. You might not see it in the natural, but they are perfect for conditions for God to move in the spiritual. We need faith for our future. The band can come and join me. We need faith for our future. That As you take a step forward, guess what? God will meet you there. In your health, maybe in your ministry, maybe in this church, maybe in your personal life. Faith for the future, because faith has the ability to make you 
well. And I don't consider myself a word of faith preacher, but I do believe faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Romans 10 verse 17, you cannot separate faith and God's word. The world will consume you and it will kill your faith if you do not stand on, wrestle with, lean in, soak in, rely on the word of God, a belief in who he is and a confidence about what he says. Let's increase our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet right now. We're going to finish in just a couple of minutes. What I'd like to do over the next few weeks as well, and I want us to do some, I want us to pray more as a church. I think it's important that we pray more as a church. You might think it's not about the time, and I know it's not about the time, but I sometimes think you need to prioritize it and go, we're going to send, spend some time doing that. And at the end of our next few services, over the next three weeks, we're just going to spend a couple of minutes. I'd like to have spent a bit more time praying today, but I feel like we've run out of time. I just want to spend three or four minutes. Is that okay? So we're going to do this kind of guided prayer together. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put a thing on the screen, a verse, and we're going to, we're going to read it. And then I want you to spend a minute praying into it. This is a prayer to have faith in the unseen God, for we live by faith, not sight. You might want to read this with me or I'll read it to you, but this is the prayer. Father God, open my eyes, not to see the world more clearly, but to see you. Open my eyes to see you working around me and in me. Nothing happens by accident. You orchestrate every day of my life. Allow me to see your hand in the mundane and the fantastic. Help me to trust in what I cannot see and believe in your invisible presence. If some of you want to have faith in the unseen God, just begin to close your eyes and just begin to pray that prayer. Just begin to speak that. Begin to believe that. You can whisper it. You can shout it out. You can pray. However your prayer culture is, don't be restricted by maybe what this corporate prayer culture is. You, you begin to lead in your own prayer culture. You begin to pray. Pray in, to have faith in the unseen God. Thank you, God. We live by faith and not by sight. The next prayer says this. This is a prayer to overcome unbelief and have faith. If you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This is the prayer. Heavenly Father, at times I waver in my belief that you see and hear me. Like the father of the demon-possessed man, I wonder if you will ever answer my prayers. But I believe and I ask you to help my unbelief. Strengthen my belief in you that I may be able to do everything I am called to do. If you are struggling with unbelief right now, if you're struggling to have that faith, just begin to pray this prayer. Begin just to speak to God about this. going to do two more today. The next one says this, a prayer for the strength that increases faith. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Father God, my strength is gone. I am unable, but your word says I can do all things through you who gives me strength. So give me your strength. 
not physical strength, but the power to move mountains that flow from faith in Jesus. Help me to depend on you to do what I think I cannot do. Let your strength alone sustain me. If there are those of you in the room that need strength, begin to pray this prayer. Begin to speak this out. Thank you, Jesus. The final one for today. A prayer of thanks for the gift of grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's pray this prayer. Dear God, thank you for the unmerited favor of your love. It is because of the faith you have created in me that I have been saved, set apart to do your work, and received your grace. Through Christ I have received grace upon grace. Father, I sometimes miss the mark and fall short of your will. But thank you for the grace that you lavish when I falter in my faith. Praise you for grace upon grace. If you want to be a receiver of that grace, the unmerited favour of God, just begin to thank him. Begin to pray for that. We receive grace through faith. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your favour. Keep praying, keep praying. Thank you, God. There's a couple of more that we haven't got time to do today, but we will email all of these prayers of faith and this guided prayer to you. We'll email that to you on Tuesday. And so if you want that and you don't already get our emails, let us know. We'll send that to you, all of these six, the ones that we haven't done. But let's be more committed to prayer. It builds our faith. So the band are going to come on. They're going to sing just a chorus of this song. And then we're going to come up here and we're just going to close this service. But come on, let's increase our faith as we worship in this moment. Come on.